0: Welcome back into the Smith and Seidel show week three here on many, many different podcasting platforms. Now, Jacob Seidel and Zach Smith with you, and we are excited to have you in a big week in sports, Zach. Yeah, a couple of big returns coming
1: around, most notably in college football, a couple of goodbyes. We got some coach firings, manager firings, more injuries in the NFL. We got a lot to cover, and it's going to Be really entertaining, but first and foremost, you know, to learn for the future, you got to learn from the past. So, first, a new part here on the
0: show this day in sports history. And for today in sports history, we go all the way back to September 30th, 1927, when a pretty well known Yankees uh, slugger, Babe Ruth, set the MLB record 60th home run off Tom Zachary in the eighth inning of a New York. 4-2 4-2 win over the Washington Senators at Yankee Stadium, and Zach, you know the uh, you weren't around, but you have heard of the pain of the curse of the Bambino being a Red Sox fan. Yeah, the,
1: the curse of the great Bambino, man. 100 years of no fun. And uh, the Red Sox beat that. I, rem- I remember watching that World Series, too, and just the curse is over, and that as a Sox fan, that was so nice to see. And then the Sox go on to win another like two world series in the decade. And it, it's always fun when your team can pull out of something like that. But man, Babe Ruth may have been one of the best hitters of all time, but did he really have to do that to the team that drafted him and gave him a shot? I mean, traded him to the
0: Yankees, but still, I mean, is that his fault? The Yankees traded or the Yankees traded for him. No, it's not necessarily his fault. And with that, we'll move right in to the NFL. Uh, and another injury update, not as bad as last week, but another handful of injuries in the NFL. Chris Harris of the Chargers, six out six weeks with his foot. Uh, Tariq Cohen tore his ACL. I'd imagine he's out for the year. Jarrell Casey out for the year with a bicep injury. Uh, Chris Carson to miss a few weeks on a knee sprain. Uh, insert any other injuries here. Wow. I mean,
1: we, we, we had the spreadsheet set up and we started going through, we did add a couple of injuries on there. We want to make sure we have accurate information, but I mean, somebody didn't want to accurately get rid of that off of his screen. So <laughs> you can go on from there a little bit. Of course, uh, injuries, always playing a factor. You mentioned not as big as week two, uh, when, It was just a bloody Sunday for the NFL. A couple of players also not playing this week. Julio Jones did not play this week. Devontae Adams didn't play this week. The Saints still waiting for Michael Thomas to come back. So a couple of players injured and waiting to, you know, come back onto the field. But those were the most notable ones for the week. We go into our week three recap. And we're not going to start with the big title fight right away. Let's, let's start with something a little easier. Let's go with uh, the Eagles versus the Bengals going on on Sunday. A one o'clock game versus two 0-2 teams going into the week. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles and the Cincinnati Bengals.
0: And the game ended in a
1: tie?
0: Yeah, which is already rare in, of it, in and of itself. You take a look at what Joe Burrow was able to do. Thirty-one of forty-four, two throwing touchdowns, through for three twelve. Um, the Bengals can't keep having him drop back forty-five to fifty times a game. Like that that's I, a recipe for disaster.
1: Yeah, I, I agree completely with you. If you do that, you know, he's gonna keep taking hits that you don't want him to take. On top of that, you've got Joe Mixon, who's a pretty solid running back and can get down the field. But the the biggest problem with that Bengals offense is still the O-line. But, you know, the fact that this Bengals team is stuck around in all three games that it's played, first against the Chargers and then a shootout with the Browns last week and now against the Eagles in week three, you know, that's a lot of credit towards that Bengals team and where they're looking to be. But you got to also work on this defense. But you can also credit this to the Eagles. The Eagles, this is a team that many, many people thought would win the NFC East, would at least be a playoff team, would go and maybe even contend for a Super Bowl again. They're 0-2-1 now to start the season.
0: Yeah, and Carson, Carson Wentz, Wentz has not looked how a lot of people were thinking. 29-47 of 47 last week, uh, one touchdown, but threw two more picks. Carson Wentz has thrown two interceptions now in three straight games.
1: Three straight games and other other than the Bengals week one, he played the Washington football team, which should be in a rebuilding year, but they're actually also looking very competitive. So you, you've got that going for you. Of course, the Bengals in week three and then back in week two, the Eagles took on the Rams and got blown out 37 to 19. This Eagles team. Arguably has been the biggest disappointment
0: in the NFL this year. Yeah, once three touchdowns to six interceptions, a 35 and a half QBR. That's
1: not good. And especially with the the weapons that you've got. Alshon Jeffrey. No, it's not Alshon Jeffrey. It's no, it is Alshon Jeffrey. I was thinking Allen Robinson. You got Alshon Jeffrey, Miles Sanders. You know, Zach Ertz is still there, a pretty decent defense. Week one, I can chalk up a little bit to, you know, my offensive line was injured completely, and so were some of my offensive weapons. But at the same time, when you're a good team, you find ways to win. And in the NFC East of all divisions, come on, man.
0: Then you you have to look at the rookie, Joe Burrow out of LSU. He is a former Buckeye, as he graduated from the Ohio State before uh, from the Ohio State University before he went down to LSU. And you know, an Ohio boy really could, putting on a decent performance: eight hundred twenty-one yards, five touchdowns, and only one interception. a uh, fifty-one and a half QBR, which is For, tied, which is twenty-third in the league, but for a rookie quarterback without an offensive line. He's looking pretty good. He does look really good. He was my
1: pick for uh, offensive rookie of the year. I put all those out before the season started. Uh, You'll get the updated awards list here soon, but uh, I a hundred percent agree with you. Joe Burrow looks really good. T Higgins has looked to have found his spot in that offense. All of these rookies have on this offense. And on top of it, these offensive weapons are starting to click a little bit. Uh, Look at A.J. Green, most notably, who has missed significant time in the past few years with the foot injury, leg injuries, and he's coming back and he doesn't look that bad. The problem with the Bengals is that defense. Uh, The Bengals were actually up by a bit in this game against the Eagles and that secondary could not close. Uh, it's still a work in progress. They're still building. They're still trying to get to the point where they can be competitive. But, you know, you got to really like what you're
0: seeing from a from a Bengals fans perspective. And as a guy that wants to see Joe Burrow succeed. I mean, I, I remember when he was in high school, he threw a touchdown pass to himself. In a state tournament game. Uh, but He's looking good, which is something you get worried about when the number one pick comes in. Yeah, you know, he might have a chance at uh, Baker Mayfield's rookie touchdown record. I I don't know if I would go that far. I still
1: need to see some stuff out of Joe Burrow. I mean, don't get me wrong, Burrow looks good. He's a phenomenal talent, but at the same time, we gotta see more of him. He is 0-2-1 on the year, and I mean, I know that wins don't equate touchdown passes, but if you're the Bengals, you've got to start getting a couple of wins. Um, you're not going to be the worst team in the NFL, and again, the Bengals look really, really competitive, but at the same time, you've got to string a good couple of wins together just to open up the door to the future, make sure the Bengals fans are happy. Credit head coach Zach Taylor. Um, with the Bengals he's done a phenomenal job down there so far and I mean the record doesn't show it right now but these Bengals look very competitive so it's a lot to be proud of
0: we'll go from Philadelphia to Orchard Park New York where the Bills almost blew a 25 point lead against the Rams and all really they should have like a few questionable calls on the Buffalo Drive where they Ran down to take the lead, but they end up squeaking it out, thirty-five to thirty-two. Yeah, Buffalo had the game
1: for a good little while. You know, held the lead over the Rams, and just overall not looking good was Jared Goff and a team that started off two and zero started not looking good at all. Josh Allen leading this team again. Uh, he had 21 points in the first half. It was a 21-3 to game at the half. Then 14 points by the Rams in the third and 15 in the fourth. You mentioned questionable calls. Uh, Josh Allen got a favorable pass interference call on a fourth and goal play in uh, the fourth quarter right before the end of the game. And that's when he was able to hit Tyler Croft for the touchdown pass to end that game to win it, 35-32.
0: I'm, I'm not sure when the last time I saw a quarterback get called for a face mask was.
1: I couldn't tell you either. I mean, on the defensive side, I've seen it before, but maybe not on the offensive side. Especially in mean, the quarterback. 35-32, to 32, not that bad of a game. The Rams also have looked kind of competitive this year. I wasn't expecting them to look this good. Uh, but you really got to
0: respect where both of these teams are at and i think josh allen is starting to cement himself as the best quarterback to come out of that was that the 2018 draft uh you keep
1: in mind sir that that was the same draft as baker mayfield lamar jackson sam darnold josh rosen oh yeah okay so lamar jackson i thought
0: lamar jackson was a year before that no, nope, Lamar Jackson picked 32 to the Baltimore Ravens that year. But 100, uh, 1,038 yards tied for second in the league or second in the league by himself. 10 touchdown passes, second in the league, only one interception and fourth in the league in QBR at 85. You know, Josh Allen was my,
1: my MVP pick coming into the season. And I I partially stand by it, although my MVP vote is going to be changing a little bit. Um, Josh Allen looks fantastic, and I got to give him a lot of credit. He is the true dual threat quarterback. He can throw the ball. He can run the ball. Where I see my problems with Josh Allen is the turnover issues. Um, He fumbles a lot. And I mean... He, doesn't throw, he hasn't thrown many interceptions yet, but when you're a running quarterback, that ball carrying has to be higher. And I mean, don't get me wrong, Josh Allen's a phenomenal quarterback. Stephon Diggs has really made a difference on this team. But if Josh Allen wants to continue to contend, I mean, especially against good teams, the Rams are the first arguably good team that they've played this year. He's got to clean up those turnovers
0: and you're right Jared Goff on the other side didn't have a or he had a good game himself but really since the Rams Super Bowl run he hasn't looked the same
1: yeah the the Rams going up against the Patriots there's been two teams most notably in the past few years that have just been derailed ever since the Patriots beat them in the Super Bowl uh that would be the Rams and that would be the Atlanta Falcons who we'll get to here in a second. Believe me, we will. Um, so you got to really look at it from that perspective of they got a little bit of Super Bowl jet lag is what I call it. And, you know, after an offseason where you trade away Brandon Cook, you trade away Todd Gurley, you sign a couple more players to these big deals, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, Jalen Ramsey, you lose Eric Weddle retirement in the offseason. You're still a formidable force, but the Rams what what was your identity coming into the year? And they they started to show it that they're gonna rely on Jared Goff and they have faith in him.
0: And yeah, so the Rams still a good team, still looking competitive. Uh we'll see what they can do next week. But we'll head down to um Mercedes Benz Stadium now in Atlanta where It looked like the Falcons were getting close to picking up win number one, but Nick Foles and the Bears come back to win at 30 to 26.
1: Uh, uh, Sorry, I'm choking a little here. Kind of like the Atlanta Falcons in back-to-back weeks. Listen here, Atlanta, all right? And players can defend Dan Quinn all you want. Dan Quinn and the rest of the GM staff need to be let go in Atlanta. This all stems back to that 28-3 lead you had over the Patriots in the Super Bowl, and you blew it. Now, a couple years later, you have arguably the most explosive offense on paper in the NFL. This is an offense with still Matt Ryan, who's won an MVP at the helm, Todd Gurley at running back, you've got re- the receivers of Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Russell Gage has made himself known. This offense can contend with anybody in the NFL, in my opinion. This defense is still, I wouldn't say a work in progress, but, you know, that's the best word to describe it. You still have studs back there. Keanu Neal is there, but he's been a little injury-prone lately. Deion Jones still back there. It's still a really good team. You were up over the Cowboys last week. I've already done this rant, and if you want... And if you haven't heard it, go back to episode two and listen to that one because that one was brutal. There's no way that that game should have come to it. But you would have thought that a team would have learned from its mistakes.
0: Yeah, you would. And they were leading by, let's see here, 10 points or 16 points going into the fourth quarter. And then Nick Foles just turned on Eagles Super Bowl mode and scores 20 points in the fourth quarter to lift that or to lift the bears to three and zero. as
1: much as you can blame the defense on there the offense has to be able to stay on the field and sustain drives you have to and you know the, this bears defense is still good it's still very very good so credit to chicago but atlanta your offense should Easily be able to get at least one first down a drive. At least one. And th- this defense, you're going up against Nick
0: Foles. Who th- is now the permanent starter in Chicago as uh, Mitch Trubisky, who from your, the same hometown as you, Zach, has been benched. Yeah, M- Mitchell Trubisky, just,
1: he was a bit of a reach where he was taken, in my opinion. Second overall pick on top of that, Chicago traded up a pick to get him. Um, you know, he, he looked good for a year and then he's fallen off massively. I've got friends of mine who are bears fans who will tell you that he's never looked good in the Chicago uniform. Um, he does, he needs to get back on track, but a team that went and traded Nick Foles, Nick Foles, isn't, you know, the best quarterback in the NFL, but he is a situational quarterback and that's where he's done well. I think. In my, I think a little bit that it was a little early to pull Mitch Trubisky. He led your team to a 2-0 and start. And I mean, yes, he was struggling against Atlanta. But Matt Nagy thought otherwise. But overall, you know, as much as I can give the win to the Bears and say congratulations, Atlanta, you blew it. You blew it. And the, you're 0-3 now in a division you should be contending with. You're 0-3 in a division like an overall conference that you should be in contention with. You should be a potential playoff team this year. And you're sitting here at 0-3 after blowing two leads to Chicago
0: and to Dallas. Ed- so with the Bears starting 3-0, Zach, are they a contender in the NFC North? I mean,
1: are they a contender? Yes. Are they going to win the North? No. Not when you've got a man like Aaron Rodgers who's out there throwing darts at everybody he's throwing to. Aaron Rodgers is on a revenge tour. He's going to be tough to beat, but, and this is where that but comes in. If this Chicago offense can play to the level it played at when Nick Foles came in against the Falcons, it's going to be tough, and I think that you're going to need to see a defensive stalemate between the Bears and the Packers. Um, Do they contend in the NFC North? Again, yes. At this moment in time, do they win the North? Not a chance.
0: So from that, we'll leave that one. And now we head to M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore. Monday night football action and the Chiefs taking care of business. And I would just like to state for the record, Zach, I called this last week. You
1: did, and I think did, you said it was the Chiefs that would win, and I said the Ravens, um, It, as much as it pained me to make that prediction. But 100%, this Kansas City offense looked electric. You know, Patrick Mahomes continues to play at the level he loves, 31 for 42, 385 yards, and four touchdowns. You would like to see a little bit more out of the running game, in my opinion. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the leading rusher for the Chiefs at 64 yards, but overall, Mahomes was throwing darts to receivers. Tyree Kill had a 20-yard pass that, as the announcers said, it was essentially Mahomes walking down the field, placing the ball in Tyree Kill's hands. There was no better coverage Marcus Peters could have played on that possession. The, the Chiefs looked really, really good last night. The Ravens tried to mount a comeback, but you know Lamar Jackson was forced to look human. And he, I I don't want to use the analogy of the running back again, but he didn't have a great day throwing 15 for 28, 97 yards, a touchdown and a fumble, not the best day rushing nine carries for 83 yards. The leading receiver was JK Dobbins with 38 yards on four catches. This offense was shut down by a Chiefs defense that I didn't think improved in the off season, but I'll stand here and. I'm, I'm a man to admit my mistakes. The Chiefs' defense looks good.
0: And I'll, I want to expand on Lamar Jackson a little bit. And I have said, since he became the starter in Baltimore, the Ravens' Achilles heel is Lamar Jackson's ability to throw the football. I think any defense, if you can keep Lamar Jackson in the pocket and force him to try to beat you as a pocket passer, you're going to win that game nine times out of ten. Lamar Jackson is a running quarterback. I don't think he's going to be this big MVP rushing for more yards than he's passing every week guy for much longer.
1: Yeah, it's difficult to talk when you've got a quarterback that's like this. Uh, the quarterbacks that have been most notable towards the play style that Lamar Jackson rolls with is Cam Newton. And Michael I'd Vick. argue Michael Vick. Uh, but Michael Vick had a relatively short career in the NFL. I mean, there are some off the field concerns mainly, but still Michael Vick was short lived. And then, of course, Cam Newton was a running quarterback for a, a long while, like a primarily running quarterback. Took a couple of bad hits in Carolina that ended up costing him his starting job in Carolina. He was lucky that the Patriots were there and he's looking better now. But, you know, when you take hits like that, that's never going to be good. You mentioned the pocket passing presence, and I said in the preseason, I did a couple of videos with another friend of mine regarding who my AFC picks were. And I said, and I quote, the next phase in Lamar Jackson's development is him throwing the ball. And he had the best QBR last year, but you go back and you look at the stats of it, and they're all little dump passes that receivers take the distance. Now, that's not the worst way to play, but if you want to be a true deep ball threat, you got to be pressuring the ball down the field a little bit. And if you,
0: if you take a look at Russell Wilson, look at what he's evolved into, he's one of the more accurate deep ball throwers in the NFL and he can run the ball. This is a Chiefs secondary that lost
1: um some of their corners over the most recent years, uh Fuller, Steven Nelson, so it, it's an area that should have been of some concern, and you blanketed Ravens receivers. And you, you can argue again that the Ravens just had an off night or the Chiefs outplayed them, but the the Ravens team that I saw last night is a team that is very beatable. And, you know, in, in a division like the AFC North where the Browns are now over five hundred for the first time in a couple of years.
0: Here and go,
1: Brownies the Steelers are three and O and that defense is still putting pressure on everybody. You know, this ASC North is no pushover this year. And I've been saying it. So for Baltimore, you know, you've got a lot to work with, but if you're Lamar Jackson, and I know that you want to play to his strengths as a runner, all you have to do is put a QB spy on him and keep him in the pocket. And suddenly Lamar Jackson, does not look all that good. Uh, maybe it's the Madden curse. I'm only aware of a couple of players who have beat the Madden curse, most notably Patrick Mahomes. But
0: we'll have to wait and see, I guess. And speaking of Patrick Mahomes, youngest player ever to reach 10,000 yards in passing. That's crazy. What is he? He's like 25, isn't he? I think he's younger than that. How Let's take a look. Let's take a look. How old are you, Mr. Mahomes? That was the wrong button. No, he's
1: 25. Wow. Did right guess. on the money. <laughs> so Mahomes at 25 years old passes a lot of other
0: really good quarterbacks to reach 10,000 career passing yards. Is he making is is he making a statement to be known as the greatest of all time i think he's going to try i mean
1: the first year as a
0: starter he
1: wins mvp his second year as a starter he wins super bowl mvp mahomes has already cemented himself in nfl history but he still has a long way to go before he passes up the bradys the mannings the elways the kurt warners of the nfl and He's got a
0: summit to climb, but
1: he looks determined to do it.
0: So now we'll go out to the West Coast CenturyLink Field as the Seahawks squeak past the Cowboys. Russell
1: Wilson is playing at an MVP level, and you cannot change my mind.
0: 315 yards, five touchdowns. It's insane. He, I mean, he's lighting up football lighting it up 14 touchdowns this season that's the number one in the nfl one interception a lot of players tied for sixth with one interception this year 86.2 qbr he's he's looking inhuman
1: yeah he really is and his receivers have really taken a step forward dk metcalf tyler lockett has looked really good of course chris carson getting injured isn't going to help this offense but he has gone into shootouts now with the Cowboys and the Patriots as well his defense is looking a lot better even though the injury bug is still there but especially now that the 49ers are a little injury stricken to start the season I don't see any competition for the Seahawks in
0: the NFC West it really doesn't look like it. I mean, the Niners still with that uh, Super Bowl hangover and uh, who else is in there? San Diego? No, they're in the Arizona, Arizona and the Rams. I mean, Arizona, maybe it depends how they keep playing. But Seattle, I think right now is the favorite to come out of the NFC. I kind of agree with that. I, I, I have to see a little bit more
1: and you know, The Seahawks have played against, again, the Cowboys, and then last week the Patriots. The Patriots have a pretty solid secondary, but what I really want to see from the Seattle team is a complete game. And what I mean by that is a Seattle team that's going to go up against a tough, top-ranked offense and slow them down enough, and Russell Wilson needs to be making plays. I think Russell Wilson's the favorite to win MVP for sure, but for the Seahawks, and for me to truly sit here and say that they are my favorite to come out of the NFC, I need to see a little bit more. I know that the Seahawks can survive a shootout, but
0: can they play defense? That's my question. That's what I would also like to see. It's going to be insane to watch the uh, Seahawks this year and our friend Hayden Kincaid would agree with us on that Uh, but they are looking the best we've seen them since their Super Bowl runs a few years back
1: yeah exactly and again Russell Wilson uh, it came out over the offseason he's never received an MVP vote so that's going to turn to people and be like well now you got to watch Russell Wilson and he is not disappointed he's played lights out football past Patrick Mahomes for most touchdowns thrown in three games. It's funny that Russell Wilson, who's been playing longer than Mahomes, now has passed Mahomes for a bit of a record, which is kind of funny. Uh, that'll that'll kind of take us into the biggest winners and biggest losers of the NFL week three. So, Mr.
0: Jacob Seidel, who are your two biggest winners in week three? My two biggest winners in week three. Oh, boy. Uh, the number one spot has to go. Well, we'll start off with the number two spot. Uh I'm gonna say the Tennessee Titans go into uh uh Minnesota, squeak out a one point win. Uh Tennessee and Ryan Tannehill are here to play. They're looking good. They're here to play and they're gonna see what they can do to make some noise. My biggest winner though, or pardon me, yeah, winner, right? Starting off with winners. That is correct. Yeah, so the Cleveland Browns defense, five takeaways, and yeah, they kind of blew that ten point lead. They trailed going into the fourth quarter, but what? Three interceptions, four interceptions, and a, uh, and I want to say a fumble recovery. I take a look at the box score and Washington looked like a team that was really beatable. The
1: the only thing that I'll, I'll throw at you on that one. And I said it for a little bit in that game, you force four takeaways, but you're only up by four points until Nick Chubb was able to break one. That's my only concern with that offense is the defense was able to pull away and the defense is supposed to be that wink, that weak link. But the defense made plays, and the offense looked a little stagnant. But continue.
0: It, I I would agree with that. But they start the. It was really a third quarter lull for the Browns' offense. Um, I'm 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 not happy with it, but I'm content that the Browns were able to pull through and get that win. But I think the Browns' defense putting up such a big show put made Baker Mayfield stand up, be like, okay. We're putting this team on our backs offense. We're not losing this game. We're getting under five hundred over five hundred Pardon me for the first time since twenty fourteen. Fair enough, fair enough. um, uh, my biggest losers of the week number two I don't know who we're gonna go with uh. I'd say number two would probably be the Jacksonville Jaguars. Gardner Minshew couldn't get it going against the Dolphins, and a game we both thought the Jags were going to steamroll it. They ended up getting steamrolled themselves 31-13, to uh, and the Jags looked competitive in the first two weeks of the season and now maybe falling off the wagon a little bit. Uh you go back and then my biggest loser is going to be the LA Rams. And Jared not Jared Goff, but really just the whole team in general. They went down 25 points. Jared Goff able to help bring his team back into it. But their defense just wasn't enough for the Bills and Josh Allen, who Josh Allen himself, like you said, starting to look like an MVP candidate. So I'm going to go a little bit in a
1: different direction with my biggest winners and losers. Uh, The the first biggest winner that I have to throw out here, um, so I'll kind of go second to first, kind of like you. The first biggest winner that I have to give is to the Pittsburgh Steelers defense. And I gave them a biggest winner a little while ago, but I'm giving it to them again. This is a team that was down 21 to 18 at the end of the first half. Steelers were down in the first half to Deshaun Watson. You know, this offense just steamrolled through Pittsburgh's defense. In the second half, they held him under 70 yards. And I'm talking the Steelers defense held Deshaun Watson under 70 yards passing and a touchdown. And he only threw an interception. In the first half, he had over 200 yards. And two touchdowns. In the second half, the Steelers' defense threw a shutout over the Houston Texans, dealt the Steelers' advance to 3 0. This defense can get after the quarterback, and the secondary can lock down when they have to. On top of it, the offense can play ball control, but that's not where I'm going with it. So the first biggest winner has to go to the Pittsburgh Steelers' defense. Defense wins championships, and I will continue to say that. My second biggest winner. Goes to Josh Allen. He has thrown 300 plus yards in three straight games. When you're a team that's supposed to be a serious playoff contender, you have to be able to win close games. The first two weeks, you played the Dolphins and you played the Jets. This was your first real test as you went up against the Rams and you looked good doing it. So credit Josh Allen for being the biggest winner of the week. My two biggest losers. My first one, Mr. Mitch Trubisky, you had a short leash. You knew you had a short leash and you had to perform knowing your starting job was on the line and you you didn't do it. You had you didn't look bad in the first half, but you had to be able to move the ball down the field. And for a guy who was taken at second overall, you know what your expectations are. And you you did not perform, and that's why Nick Foles is now the starter in Chicago. And who knows if your time is done in Chicago or as a starter. My second and my biggest loser, my biggest loser, is the Atlanta Falcons. And I'm not going to jump on it again, but Dan Quinn, Dan Quinn is not, the best thing and if your players are sitting here saying he's not then what's the problem uh, I, w- I would give the honorable mention to Mr. Kyler Murray who had his team at 2-0 and, and threw three interceptions against the Lions but my my biggest loser has to be the Atlanta Falcons and I don't think anybody else even comes close
0: it, it's uh, I, I would agree with you on about 90% of what you said uh, I still think the, the, uh, Rams ended up having the, the biggest loser, but I, I agree with everything you said. There's no way that the Cardinals should have lost at home to Matt Patricia's Lions.
1: Yeah, there's, there's a couple of losers this week. I just, I keyed in on the two that I think needed to get a little bit of extra time. There's still room to improve, but. You got to do what you got to do. We're going to move on into week four. We're going to highlight a couple of the big games and who we think will win. Uh, I'm not going to touch the battle of the unbeatens going on just yet. We're going to start Thursday night football. The Denver Broncos versus the New York Jets. What are you looking for? What do you got? Oh, boy.
0: That is the correct response to that matchup. (laughs) Sam Darnold. Oh, boy. You know what? Neither of these teams get a win. I'm calling a tie. It is going to be a 14-all tie. You know, I'm going to go in kind of a different
1: direction. Of course, I mean, the Broncos have been injury-stricken, but they've looked mildly competitive in games they've played. Losing Jarell Casey is huge. But the Jets, the Jets themselves should change their names to the Come On Mans. Like, they've looked promising, and then they didn't. They you can blame injuries on them too, but Sam Darnold's seeing ghosts on every player that he's every game he's played. I give this one to the Broncos
0: by ten. Okay, good. I, that might be so. Uh, we should probably start start keeping track of our pickums.
1: Well, I the, keep track of all mine on Twitter. You can go ahead and find that on there. Smitty underscore Zach Z A K on that and uh, I, I post some fun hot takes, and on top of that, my predictions for each week. I
0: haven't done that bad. You haven't. You've picked a lot of good ones. Um, I'm, I'm still going to call the tie, even though Denver is favored. I just don't think either team is going to do anything. Oh, boy. So then
1: let's push into a couple of these Sunday games, then. Uh, we can do the Steelers versus the Titans two 3-0 teams going at it. Fans will be in attendance down in Nashville. Uh, That's pending that the game is played. A little bit of breaking news this morning on the day that we're recording this. This is September 29th that we are recording it. Three positive tests for COVID-19 in Tennessee, so the Titans and Vikings have suspended their practices for the day. Again, they played on Sunday. They're going to wait to see what's going on, so potential for some postponement as in terms of games, but uh the, the Steelers Titans is supposed to start this week. Mr. Jake Settle, who do you have?
0: Well, looking at this game on paper, it's really a coin flip. Two very similar quarterback uh production-wise this year. You know, Big Ben, 73 of 109, 777 yards, seven touchdowns, one interception. Tannehill, 70 of 104. 809, six touchdowns and one interception. Uh, I think the X factor in this game is going to be Juju Smith Schuster. I think he's going to lead the all players in receiving yards, but I think the Tennessee defense is going to be too much for the Steelers. I think it's going to be a close game. I think the Steelers are going to be driving near the end. And I think the Titans are going to put up a big stop partial credit will go to the fans in attendance. So I
1: I like your take for a couple of reasons. Um, First and foremost, fans always make a difference. This is going to be the first time that either of these teams, if I'm not mistaken, are playing in front of fans this year. But I I have to contradict just a little bit. And it was shown against Minnesota this past week as Ryan Tannehill was not able to throw the ball. And Tannehill does not throw the ball all that much. Um, going into this game, they're the 11th best passing offense in the league and the 13th best rushing offense in the league um, to even them out at the 11th best offense to the Steelers 13th. The area where the Steelers are the best is in run defense. They have not allowed a 100-yard rusher yet, and they've played three (laughs) pretty good running backs, Saquon Barkley, Melvin Gordon, and David Johnson, who still has some gas left in the tank. Now, you're going up against probably your hardest test in Derrick Henry. The Steelers' defense is the second best defense in the league. And on top of that, they get at your quarterback. Now, the Titans aren't having to have played anybody quite like the Steelers' defense yet. You still have two great edge rushers. The secondary looks awesome. And I would change that the X factor in this is actually James Conner. You know, you can throw the ball all you want, but that run game is huge. The last time the Steelers and Titans played was back in 2019 when the Steelers won 18 to 6 in that game. I kind of like that score, but I do think that the fans are going to be, you know, a big big spot on here. I'm going to say that the Steelers win by a touchdown due to the lack of defense on Tennessee's side. I think that Roethlisberger at 38 can pick apart of secondary and if James Conner can get it going, past that initial line of attack and can drive down the field a little bit. I don't see any reason the Steelers lose this game. I give it to the Steelers by
0: seven. Zach, do you want to know how close this game is really going to be? I would love to. Listen to the stats for these teams. Both the Titans and the Steelers, 26.7 points per game. They're within about five. Uh, of each other in points allowed per game, Steelers at nineteen point three, Titans at twenty four point seven, both three ninety eight point seven yards per game. Uh, yards per game within ten of passing yards and rushing yards. The only difference is in yards allowed. The Titans allowing about a hundred ten more yards per game than the Steelers. But this is going to be a insane matchup, I believe. This might be the game of the year this week so far. So the the other thing that we really didn't talk about with this matchup, and the
1: reason we're covering it is because it's two and O teams who very well we could see again. But the injuries is the question. Um, most notably for the Titans is A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown has missed the last couple of games. Um, but it's going to be interesting because this offense has not been the same without him as the true number one receiving threat. If AJ Brown can't go, you know the the Titans may still look stagnant. On the other side of the ball, Deontay Johnson left early in the game against the Texans with a possible concussion. He went on Twitter later saying that he was fine. He is listed as questionable, but you know injuries really do play a matter of it. But this, the defense. Of both of these teams look awesome, but I got to give the edge to the Steelers. You hold a guy like Deshaun Watson to no points in the second half. That's, that's tough to do.
0: Yeah. We move on to green Bay where the Falcons are being hosted by the Packers at Lambeau field. I don't want to discuss this one. It's going to be Packers in a landslide. I say Packers by 10. I
1: think that the Falcons know that they need to get something going, but you know, I'm I am not giving anything to Atlanta anytime soon, not until they start proving me wrong.
0: Buffalo making their first trip to Las Vegas and a late afternoon start on CBS. Both these teams have looked really good and ESPN has it at a coin flip. 50 point four percent of a win for the Bills. Forty nine point two percent for Las Vegas. The only I difference is Josh Allen has looked a lot better than Derek Carr. You know,
1: I you can argue that, but at the same time, can you really argue that the Raiders before this Patriots game last week looked really good, and even in the Patriots game, they looked mighty competitive. Um, it's going to come down to whether or not this Bills defense came to play. Again, you had a mighty high, significant lead against the Rams that you blew. You cannot sleep on John Gruden and the Raiders, especially at home. So, so, I give it to the Bills by a field goal. However, however, if Josh Jacobs gets going, I give it to the Raiders by a touchdown.
0: Okay. I am going to say this one is Bills all the way. I'm going to give it 10 point victory for the Bills. I just don't think I think after last week getting up that big of a lead, the Bills coaching staff is going to be in on their players and be like, we can't do it again. We can't do it again. Another late afternoon matchup. Kansas City hosting the Patriots. Can Bill Belichick's team get it done at Arrowhead? I don't know.
1: And that I think that's the best way to throw it out there you know with with the Patriots they started off unbeaten they ran into a little bit of a challenge against the Seahawks then they were tested by the Raiders and it's for that reason that I think Kansas City gets the victory here especially after coming off of a win over the Baltimore Ravens on Monday night so mildly short week but Against the Patriots, it should be a little easier. But that being said, Cam Newton is the wild card in this game. As much as I would love to see the Chiefs lose this game, I don't think you're going to see it because Cam Newton hasn't shown he can throw the ball consistently. So I'm going to
0: give this one to the Chiefs by... I'm going to say 10. I I would agree with that. I think I don't think there's any way New England can get closer than 10 points, but we never know. We go to Soldier Field, now De Bears hosting the Indianapolis Colts.
1: This is another tough one, actually. A uh, lot of really fun games this week going on. Uh, Chicago now with Nick Foles. I don't think I can accurately give my pick on this with Nick Foles now getting his first start in a Chicago uniform. He looked good in that second half against the Falcons. But, you know, this defense for Indianapolis looked fantastic against the Jets. So that being said, I got to go with the the team that I trust a little bit more that's had a better run game in recent weeks and is a little less injury plagued. I'm going to give it to the Colts
0: by by five. Okay. I'm going to go with the Colts as well. I think it's going to be a one-point affair. I think a mixed, a missed extra point is going to be the difference. That'll take us to the recap of the current unbeaten teams in
1: the NFL. That would be the Tennessee Titans, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Green Bay Packers, the Buffalo Bills, Kansas City Chiefs, Chicago Bears, and the Seattle Seahawks, and the teams who have yet to win a game. I say win a game. So I'm going to keep Philadelphia and Chicago or and the Cincinnati Bengals out of this since they tied, but they have not won a game as well as the New York Jets, the New York Giants, the Houston Texans, the Denver Broncos, the Atlanta Falcons, and the Minnesota Vikings. Do any of those teams surprise you?
0: The one that surprises me the most, I think, is uh, honestly Chicago surprising me at 3-0. and I didn't think they were going to do very well this season. Now that they are, I'm excited to see what they can do the rest of the season. And Houston on the loser's side, Deshaun Watson, great quarterback, but they just don't have the talent around him to help with anything. I thought they could still muster out a few wins, but in my mind, Houston should at least have one win by now.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll kind of echo you on the Chicago side of it. Other than Chicago, I, I could see each one of these other teams being unbeaten. Green Bay, Pittsburgh, Tennessee, the Chiefs, all these other teams look correct to be unbeaten. Chicago, again, I, I do agree is kind of scary. They shouldn't be. Detroit should have beat them week one, and Atlanta shouldn't have melted down in week three. But credit a stout defense, and that's how Chicago is in here right now. As in terms of teams who have yet to win, that surprises me. As much as I harp on them, you know, it really, really does shock me that Atlanta's is 0-3. They lose two games that they shouldn't have lost, but they were in control for most of those two games. Atlanta's got to learn how to close out teams. But to see them at 0-3 in a year where they should be contending in the NFC South, that surprises me.
0: Uh, yeah. I'm not as surprised to see that as Houston, um, but it is a shock. I think this is the first time the Falcons have gone 0-3 to start a season in the Matt Ryan era. Matt Ryan has never
1: gone 0-2 in his career before this year.
0: So, not really sure about that, but what's going on, Atlanta? Get back on track. You might still have a chance to maybe make some noise. That's the end of our NFL discussion. We'll take a quick break. Be right back here on the Smith & Seidel Show. And we're back here on the Smith & Seidel Show. Jacob Seidel along with Zach Smith with you. It's time to look at some Major League Baseball postseason
1: The the postseason lockdown, getting ready to start. It's actually going to be starting tonight, the day that we are recording. So some of what we're talking about, we're just going to be getting a good look ahead to what's going on in the postseason. Uh potential seedings to watch, games that are gonna be fun. And uh no, we have a little bit else to talk about. So let's go ahead and get it underway.
0: First game of the evening, or Part of me. Afternoon starts at two o'clock on ABC. Not where you usually see baseball, uh, but it's the Twins hosting the Asterix. Thanks, ESPN. <laughs> the Astros. Uh, Houston is twenty-nine and thirty-one. Minnesota is 36 and 24. And in my opinion, should have been in second place in the division. If the Indians hadn't blown one game to the Pirates in that uh, three game series. But they, I will give them this. They looked vulnerable against the Reds.
1: Yeah, the Twins just got to keep their bats going. And I mean, you can... You can kind of give a little bit of a, a pass to the Reds. The Reds' pitching rotation looked really good. Trevor Bauer should win NL Cy Young. But the, the Bats need to be going. This is a team that rocketed home runs last year, and they're having a tough time getting it going. you got to play small ball to win games, and I don't know if this Twins club can do that.
0: I'm not sure they can either, and as much as I hate it to root for the Astros, I think... They might have the more complete team. It all just depends on if their offense can come back together. We head out to Oakland, California now. The Athletics hosting the White Sox. And the A's, one of the surprise teams in the AL.
1: Yeah, and they, they get a tough draw with this Chicago White Sox team. Two versus seven seeds, respectively. And and the A's looked dominant in against the Astros and the rest of the West this year. Chicago, on the other hand, kind of fell off. Their bats are falling asleep at the wrong times. This is a team that was second, the second seed for a little bit in this postseason bracket, but has fallen down to the seventh seed after getting swept by the Indians and just not looking very good. Their bullpen is a major area of concern. If I'm the White Sox,
0: yeah, two walk-offs in, one, in a four-game series against the Indians. Not where you want to see your bullpen going into the postseason. Uh, we'll go down to Tampa Bay, a AL East division matchup as the Tampa Bay Rays host the Toronto Blue Jays. The Tampa- We call them the Buffalo Blue Jays.
1: It doesn't matter what you call them. This, this Blue Jays team... I don't think stands much of a chance here. It's it's a, again, you mentioned an AL East battle. The Tampa Bay Rays have been the si- most silent, but scary team in baseball this year, in my opinion, you know, the, the Tampa Bay Rays have a great, great pitching staff. Their lineups have finally put it together. The bats are hot and you're going up against a, a blue Jays team that in all respect should still be mildly rebuilding. Uh, you, I mean, you have Vlad Guerrero jr. Got that going for you, but the the Blue Jays team should be using this year as a bit of experience of saying, hey, we're in the postseason. This is what the postseason's kind of like and go from there. But I, I, I think Tampa Bay is going to make it all the way up through the MLB semis.
0: And finally, we will go to the marquee matchup of the night. The New York Yankees in Cleveland to face the Indians at Progressive Field. Tito Francona back on the bench for the Indians. And Vegas can't decide a winner on this one. The line is even.
1: Look look at the pitching matchup alone on this. Shane Bieber, the, the who should win the AL Cy Young, if he, he doesn't... Will,
0: he will win the AL Cy Young because he became the first... The second Indian ever and the first pitcher in the majors in, I want to say, about 10 years to win the Triple Crown. The only other Indians to do it was the heater from the meter himself, Bob Feller.
1: The, the Indians have Shane Bieber, who should win the Cy Young. You say will. I, I'm saying should. I agree. He most likely will win it. Going up against Garrett Cole, who looked dominant for the Astros mm-hmm. last year. You know, it, it, This is really going to come down to the bats. And the the Yankees have started to heat up. The Bronx Bombers are looking like their normal selves. They're not as injury-plagued as they were. This is the Yankees team that was favored to win everything this year yet again. But, I mean, injuries strike, and there's not a lot you can do on that. On the other side of it, this is an Indians team whose bats are starting to wake up. They're starting to get hot at the right time. That's what you really want. This bullpen has had its ups and downs. This pitching rotation, though, is what has saved this team. Has saved this team. You're now the four spot. You're the host so far. And um, if if the Indians want to beat the Yankees, and this is probably the best matchup of anything in the AL, I would say it's the best matchup in this first round. The Yankees are going to try to take you deep. It's going to come down to can the Indians match what the Yankees do and in the end, can the Indians pull ahead by a run?
0: Yankees come in losing four of their last five. Indians come in winning four, uh, winning five or four of their last five and they looked dominant in a lot of the games against the White Sox. They had to walk them off but they had the better pitching I don't know I'm excited about this matchup and we all know what happens when the Yankees come to Cleveland in September
1: so just to recap the MLB postseason seeds in the AL it goes 1-8 to eight in this order the Tampa Bay Rays the Oakland Athletics the Minnesota Twins the Cleveland Indians the New York Yankees the Houston Astros are the, eighth, or the sixth seed the numbers were kind of weird The Chicago White Sox at 7 and the Toronto Blue Jays at 8. On the NL side, the LA Dodgers, the 1 seed, the 2 seed belonging to the Atlanta Braves. At 3, the Chicago Cubs, the San Diego Padres at the 4 seed, the St. Louis Cardinals at 5. The 6 seed belonging to the Miami Marlins, Cincinnati at 7, and the Milwaukee Brewers sneaking in as the 8 seed.
0: And let's go over to the NL real quick. The NL Central, who, in my opinion, is the best division in baseball, especially because they were just playing it themselves in the AL Central. Four teams into the postseason. The Reds, the Cubs, the Cardinals, and the Brewers. And I think the Reds are going to give the Braves a run for their money in the, what is the 7 versus 2 matchup? Trevor Bauer, who won the NL uh, pitching title, looks like he's going to win the Cy Young Award in the NL. And not to mention... The Braves are at 35 and 25 Reds at 31 and 29. This is another big series. Atlanta is favored. They're a 136 point favored in this one.
1: But at the same time, you got to look at what Cincinnati has been able to do lately. Look at the Minnesota series, and that's probably the best sample size that you can look at. You know, Cincinnati looked good for all things considered you know it's it's really interesting to see where teams like these stack especially when you know the Ronald Acuña thing where he was hurt for a little while the Braves coming off of uh, a couple of losses most notably to the Red Sox the Red Sox were able to capture 2 of 3 the last time they were out and the Boston Red Sox without their manager Ron Reneke, getting fired So it's going to be interesting to see if the Braves can bounce back from that. Uh, I I like the Reds in this series, but at the same time, it comes down to, well, I, I keep saying the same thing. It comes down to the bats and can the Braves get it going? This is a Braves team that in the last two games mustered three runs combined against the Boston Red Sox, whose pitching rotation has not been good this year. And this is coming from a Red Sox fan. The Braves have to be more competitive on the bats.
0: And let's go to what I believe is the second best uh, matchup in this on the NL side of things. The Marlins at Wrigley facing the Cubs. Like, it it seems like a really close matchup. Marlins come in winning three of their last five. Cubs come in winning two of their last five. Uh, but they won two of three against the White Sox. The Cubs have looked good. I um, I agree. I think this whole series is a coin flip, but I think it's going to be the most highly contested series in the NL.
1: Well, the other thing you got to look at is the injuries. Uh, both teams without some mildly good players, the Chicago Cubs, Tyler Chatwood, is on the 10-day IL. Manuel Rodriguez is on the 60-day IL, both of those guys being relief pitchers. And for the Marlins, Jose Arena and Starling Marte are day-to-day. So the thing with the Cubs, the Cubs need to watch that bullpen. That bullpen needs to be better. They need to be a little more sharp. Miami has been the better road team, 20-14 to on the road, to the Cubs being just 19-14 and at home. So Marlins being a, a pretty good road team. And Jacob and I mentioned this in the past couple of shows that we've talked about. And even as we have talked is that the Miami Marlins, nobody thought would be in this position this year. Nobody thought that. No, not at all. And now you're sitting here at the sixth seed and with a legitimate opportunity to beat the Chicago Cubs who won the world series a few years ago. So it's going to be an interesting little, room to see here. I don't think it's as as competitive as the Cardinals Padres series, but it's going to be fun to watch regardless to see what this Miami Marlins team can do against a a powerhouse team like the Chicago Cubs.
0: Okay, Zach of the four games we have today, I want you to predict the biggest winners and the biggest losers. So that's the Yankees at Indians Astros at twins, White Sox at A's and Blue Jays at Rays. So you want me to predict the winners? the biggest winner we're going to see tonight and the biggest loser we're going to see tonight.
1: The biggest winner. I think you're going to see tonight is going to come from the Houston Astros. I think the Houston Astros in game one are going to surprise some people and win over the Minnesota twins. So I'm going to say that the Astros get the biggest winner. You will not hear me say that the Astros are winners ever again, But I think that you could potentially see the Astros get it going. This is a team that's got a lot of postseason experience on that roster. Although their bats have not been as good because they cheated. um, Or at least it's come out that they've cheated. The trash cans aren't going to be there. There's no fans in the stands. That's where I think the Astros are really going to suffer. But the Twins lately have not looked as sharp. And I think the Astros jump on a game one lead. So that's my biggest winner. My biggest loser... I think is gonna be the Tampa, or the Toronto Blue Jays. And the reason being is again, the the AL is a little bit more spread out of, the, of a division. Uh the Jays going 32 and 28. And typically when you look at the AL East, you say, oh, it's the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Rays have good seasons every once in a while. The Rays look scary. They look scary. And I mentioned again, they're the silently good team in the AL going 40 and 20 on the year you know Blake Snell is going to be on the hill for the Rays going up against Matt Schumacher and you know you 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 look at this team this Tampa Bay's Rays team is ready to go you know they're the consensus pick they're the 85% favorite I I give the biggest loser unfortunately of the day to the Toronto Blue Jays You look good. It's good to see that you're contending again, but you've got a really tough luck of the draw going up against the Rays at home.
0: My biggest winner tonight is going to be the Cleveland Indians pitching staff. The bullpen has solidified. You're throwing out the best pitcher in the American League tonight in Shane Bieber. The Indians themselves have won more games by uh, three or fewer runs than any team in baseball. They are perfectly suited for a three-game series against the Yankees, and I think they're going to win it. My biggest loser is going to be the Chicago White Sox. The A's have been playing phenomenally all season, beating up on all sorts of teams, and I think they're going to put up at least six runs tonight on the White Sox. So, so I go ahead. Go ahead. No, after you, good sir. Oh, I was gonna say, let's. We're running low on time. We should probably move on to uh, a quick look at the NBA Finals.
1: Lakers versus Heat. After the Heat beat the Boston Celtics, and then, as I said, the Nuggets, you know, fell short against the Lakers. They probably playing tired. You know, it's it's been really interesting to see on both sides. Before we touch that finals matchup. A quick update on coaching, Billy Donovan signed by the Bulls, Mike D'Antoni still looking for a job, he was the former coach of the Houston Rockets, he is looking everywhere and he's being pursued by the Philadelphia 76ers, and then this week, Doc Rivers and the Clippers mutually parting ways, Doc Rivers of course having an all-star team getting beaten by the Nuggets. And he's looking for a job. Steve Nash also this offseason signed by the Nets. So uh, Doc Rivers is being pursued also by the Philadelphia 76ers. And the New Orleans Pelicans are giving a serious look to Mr. Doc Rivers. So let's go ahead and touch this NBA Finals matchup between LeBron James and the Lakers and Jimmy Butler and the Heat. What is the one thing for each team going into this matchup?
0: For the Lakers, AD and LeBron need to get up and get going early. They should both score at least 20 points in game one. Put the Heat in their place. If you're the Heat, it's the exact opposite. If you want to win this series and win a championship over your former star, you need to go out and play defensive basketball, hardcore. Get in LeBron's head. Make him miss. But I don't think it's going to be enough. I'm calling the Lakers in five. Who's your MVP? LeBron James.
1: You see, I'm going to go kind of in an opposite direction. I do agree that it's going to be the Lakers, but I think that the heat make a little bit more out of this. I don't count Jimmy Butler out by any means. I'll give it to the Lakers in six. However, that this heat team is nothing to be trifled with. I would partially agree with you on LeBron as the MVP winner but I've seen a little bit more all around game from Anthony Davis. So I'm going to say Lakers in six MVP prediction to Mr. Anthony Davis. And you made a good point that Jimmy Butler has got to come out swinging. It hasn't just been Jimmy Butler. And that's what I've liked the most about the Miami heat. Bam at a bio has been really good winning Eastern conference final. Oh, excuse me. Eastern conference finals MVP. You know, you've got a great cast of guys around Jimmy Butler including Andre Iguodala, don't count the heat out of this series. That's all I'm going to say.
0: Quick look at the NHL. The Lightning won the Stanley Cup. Congratulations, Tampa Bay, on your second Stanley Cup. And really just a thorough dismantling of the Dallas Stars, as our friend Chris I probably You should probably check on Chris today. Yeah, he's a big Dallas Stars guy. Uh, big big Dallas, Dallas, uh, Dallas Stars guy. Wow. Okay, now, because we are running out of time, NCAA football. The Mid-American Conference and the Pac-12 are both going to return. So Big Ten and Pac-12 teams have returned into the AP poll. Ohio State at number six. Michigan at 16. Something like that. Close around there. Does Ohio State gain number one after they start playing games?
1: I don't know. That is the question. Um, You know, you've got a couple of stout teams ahead of them Clemson, Alabama, and on top of that, Florida has looked pretty good. I think Ohio State won't get it after the first game, but once they start playing a couple of good teams, I think that's really where you're going to see it. You've got Nebraska on your schedule, Michigan is, of course, the rivalry. It's going to be really interesting to see what Ohio State can do. Uh, The Mac. Agreeing on a six game conference only schedule beginning on November 4th. So Bowling Green football is coming back. Uh, Their championship will take place December 18th or 19th. uh, Likely at Ford Field, but that has not been confirmed yet. And the Pac-12 will start December 6th with the championship being on December 18th. Um, The only Pac-12 team to make the AP poll is Oregon. And it's going to be really fun to watch what the NCAA is going to look like. Of course, no mandatory win total being announced this year for bowl games. So it does not matter what record you have. You can be invited to a bowl game.
0: Yeah. And I think that's going to be very interesting, especially for some of the new year, six bowls. Uh, I don't think the Rose bowl is a playoff game this year, but I'm not sure. Uh, big or Pac-12 has a team make the uh, CFP. I don't know. I don't. I don't think you'll see it just
1: purely because I don't think the Pac-12 has the competition that it has in recent years. You're going to need to see big things come out of some of these other teams, um, other than Oregon, Washington, potentially maybe Washington State. But it's it's going to be really cool to see what the Pac-12 can do. Um, Oregon losing Justin Herbert to the draft. You still have some pieces there, but are you really going to be able to bring it back? So I, I don't think you'll see it in the college football playoff. I still stand by my picks um, of Ohio State, Texas, Clemson, and I believe my SEC pick was Alabama.
0: Okay. Yeah. I agree with that. So, Uh, Big 12 has been beating, been beat by a lot of out of conference teams and not looking too well against each other in the conference either. No, not at all. I mean, the Big 12, Texas Texas Tech, just look at that game
1: alone. That went to overtime. Sam Ellinger looked really, really good in that one. But, you know, It's going to be really interesting to see the Big 12 a lot more competitive. Oklahoma fell this week going up against Kansas State. That one was fun to watch, 38-35. This is not the same team that has had Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield in recent years. Completely different team. And then, of course, the other big team that fell this week was LSU to Mississippi State, an SEC matchup. Mississippi State beating LSU in Death Valley, 44-34. So both of those teams tumble a little bit in the rankings. Uh, We've liked a lot of teams thus far, um, but we're going to go ahead, and I think we want to push into overreaction or underreaction. We give a bold, hot take, and then we defend our argument. So I'll go ahead and start this one off asking my good friend Jacob Seidel, a question and he really wanted me to add this one in here so i'll start with it the big 12 won't be in the college football playoff however cincinnati will be overreaction or underreaction
0: that's an underreaction luke fickle and his Bearcats are a uh, power five team and a group of five conference they can hold their own against the big boys year in and year out I think of any of the group of five teams that deserve to be in the college football playoffs, it's Cincinnati. Also, I think in the next five years, we'll see Cincinnati become the second school in the state of Ohio to join the Big Ten.
1: So on this question, I'm going to say an overreaction with an asterisk. The Big 12 will have a spot in this college football playoff. It's their spot to lose. And again, I still think Texas wins that spot. They have looked the best so far. Oklahoma does not look like they've got it right now. Baylor has not been in any talks recently. And this Texas team is moving up in the rankings themselves. They they have gotten better. So I'm going to say it's an overreaction with an asterisk only because in that opening portion against Army, Cincinnati looked vulnerable up until they started getting on their run. Army was up 7-3 to three in that first quarter, and then ever since it was all Bearcats. This Bearcats team is good. I'm not taking that away from Luke Fickle and this team. But Cincinnati has to get that statement win that I don't think they've gotten yet this season. They will get an opportunity. They've got Memphis on Halloween and then UCF on the 21st of November. If they want a spot in this college football playoff, they've got to run the table and play against these really good teams.
0: The best quarterback in college football this season will not be Trevor Lawrence. Underreaction or overreaction?
1: Underreaction. Underreaction. The reason why Trevor Lawrence, I think it's a lot of praise, is because he plays in the ACC. Now, I'm not by any means saying the ACC is not good. But compared to the other power of five schools, th- this is a division run by Clemson. I mean, now Notre Dame's in it, but, you know, what are you going to do against Clemson and Dabo Sweeney? Trevor Lawrence is a really, really good talent, but I don't think he's the best quarterback in college football this season. We have yet to see Justin Fields, but look at these two guys Sam Ellinger and Kyle Trask. Kyle Trask with Florida, Sam Ellinger with Texas. Both have had phenomenal games, and if that first game for the SEC for Kyle Trask this like yet on Saturday is any indication for what's to come for him. He might hear his name called within the first five picks in this upcoming NFL draft.
0: I I think you're right. Um, I also am going to say it's an underreaction. I think Justin Fields, when we see him is going to blow whatever is done by Lawrence out of the water this season. It's a revenge tour for the Buckeyes. Remember that.
1: All right, sir. Overreaction or underreaction. Mitchell Trubisky, after getting benched by the Bears, will not be a franchise starter in the NFL again. Overreaction or underreaction?
0: Underreaction. I think Mitch Trubisky still has time to become a starter. Maybe not as elite as a lot of people thought he was going to be when he was a rookie, Um, But if there's any team that can get him there, I think it's going to be the Indianapolis Colts, where I think Mitch Trubisky will go and be the starting quarterback after Philip Rivers retires.
1: I agree with you on that. I'm going to also say underreaction. I am not a fan of starting rookie quarterbacks. I have made that very, very clear over the years. I don't think that you should be throwing a guy from college in right away. I think they should be getting time to learn the system. And if they look ready, then you play them. But I am not a fan of starting rookie quarterbacks. Look at Patrick Mahomes. He saw the field week 17 of his rookie year. And now look at him. Um, I think that Trubisky can be a starting quarterback. I think he can be that caliber again in the right system. However, he, he is not a franchise quarterback. and It sucks to say that because Trubisky looked promising, but unless he gets that last shot and he can prove, he knew this was his year. The team didn't pick up his fifth-year option. He had to show off this year, and he didn't. So I'm going to say underreaction, I don't think Mitch Trubisky will be a franchise starter in the NFL.
0: Underreaction or overreaction? If LeBron James wins a championship and becomes the first player in NBA history, to win MV, uh, NBA Finals MVP for three different teams, he will be cemented as the goat. Oh, this one's tough. This one's tough. The, the The goat conversation is between
1: Michael Jordan and LeBron James. I'm gonna say that this is an underreaction, and the reason being, LeBron James is gonna is has been doing things that not even Michael Jordan has done. He played with the Bulls. And then he, he did float around a little bit. He went to try baseball. And don't get me wrong. Michael Jordan is arguably the best player to ever play basketball. There's nothing that's ever going to take away what he did for this game. But LeBron has taken the Miami Heat to a championship, won finals MVP, took the Cleveland Cavaliers to a championship, won the MVP. And now he's taking the LA Lakers to a finals championship. It's, if he wins MVP. He's the first player to do it in both conferences. He was the first player to do it for three different teams. I, I don't see any reason how statistically LeBron James is not the best player to ever play basketball.
0: I'm going to agree under reaction. I saw LeBron play the first time he was in Cleveland, and when he came back, he is He is the goat. All right, sir. The New York
1: Jets, after not looking good and led by Sam Darnold and Adam Gase, the New York Jets will go 0-16 this year. Overreaction, underreaction.
0: Overreaction. As a Browns fan, I know how hard it is for a team to go 0-16. It's not easy. It's not easy. You're going to have one game where you catch someone off guard and get a win.
1: I I want to agree with it because of the fact that they play in the AFC East. And I think that's where they're going to be a little bit relieved. But at the same time, this this Jets team's got to show me something. And that's the one thing they have not been able to do yet this season. They got blown out against the Colts. And you look at the schedule ahead of them. The Broncos on Thursday night football, then you got the Cardinals, the Chargers, the Bills, the Chiefs, the Patriots, the Dolphins twice. As much as I want to say it's an under-react- or an overreaction, I'm going to say it's an underreaction. I don't see any team losing to the Jets except for maybe the Broncos this week, only because they're injury-plagued. Uh, and, until the Jets show me otherwise, I gotta say it's an underreaction. And sorry, New York, I think you go 0-16.
0: I think that's going to just about do it for us here. Zach, any final thoughts? No, I don't have any final
1: thoughts other than uh, thanks for tuning in. Tune in same time next week. And uh, it, it's, it's always fun. It's always a pleasure, good sir.
0: Thanks to Zach Smith and uh, my co-host for the great conversation. Our intro and outro music is by Bobby Quinn Creative Music Production. He is highly recommended by the Smith & Seidel Show. You can find him on Fiverr.com by searching Bobby Quincy. We'd also like to thank my good friend Dylan Hunter, a student here at Bowling Green State University, uh, for creating our Smith and Seidel Show logo. This has been a production of BG Falcon Media. For more information, please visit the BG Falcon Media website at bgfalconmedia.com. For Zach Smith, I am Jacob Seidel signing off for this week. And please remember to stay safe stay healthy. And I Ziggy Zumba.